Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Well, good morning. It is fun to be in Fort Worth and fun to uh, get to worship with you. Jamie was freaking out a little bit yesterday about the weather forecast, right? And are you going to make it from Waco? And I said, I think James wrote me too. And I said, I'm from Kansas City. We can handle this. So, uh, But I live in Waco now and grateful to be there. So proud of you guys and so excited about Antioch Fort Worth. That's amazing. You know, it's probably three years ago that I was here and just seeing the growth and the uh, things God's doing in your midst are so awesome. So proud to be a part of it. All right, let me pray and then we'll dig into this thing. Lord, thank you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you promise where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in their midst. And there's a whole lot more than two or three of us here. So Father, we thank you. We ask you to speak to our hearts today. Lord, direct us whatever you want to do. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A number of years ago, I found myself in this middle of nowhere village in India called Kitanili. And uh, Kitanili is a open rock quarry village. The people that work in the rock quarry actually live there on the side of the quarry in these little ramshackle huts, you know, and with dynamite blasting all the time. That's their life. Very, very poor, very remote, very unreached. And uh, I was there as I've done for many years, going to India, working with a a group, a couple of those guys are on that movement video, uh, which if you get a chance to see it tonight, you'll hear more of the story. But doing some training with them, and and we were going to do an outreach that night and decided on this village. So we went there, it was about an hour and a half away from where we were staying, rough roads, and got there, and I thought, you know, maybe it would be better if the white-skinned guy stayed in the car tonight so that I didn't draw too much attention to myself, and I'll just sit and watch what's going on here. And so they got out of the car and it immediately started to rain. And I was like, oh, bummer. You know, there goes the outreach. Well, didn't stop them. They start playing some tambourines and singing worship songs. And before you know it, there's 150 people gathered. I, you know, they just came from everywhere, you know. And uh, so they're singing songs and having fun, celebrating. They do a drama. They One of them begins to preach. And while he's preaching, this guy walks right through the middle of the crowd with a bull on a leash behind him. And I'm, you know, you're looking in the car and trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. You know, and just a couple minutes later, he runs out of the meeting with the bull running behind him. And I'm like, what? Well, it's India. You know, we just chalk it up to be in India and weird things happen there. So anyway, the meeting goes on, they preach, they do a ministry time. And I'm watching some of this. I see a lady that falls on the ground and starts slithering like a snake. And so they, you know, they lay hands on her and and she's freed from a demon and she's peaceful and weeping and they're praying for her. Another lady with a similar type of manifestation, they're praying for people and and leading people to the Lord and praying for healing. And and finally it's all over and they come to the car and as you can imagine, they're so excited because of what God's just done. And and I'm excited too because I've gotten to watch them and, uh, and see what they're doing and and they call me uncle. So they come in, uncle, it was amazing. I said, that looks so great. Tell me what happened. They said, 
Oh, you know, I, this lady, man, if I said, I saw the lady like the snake. I kind of got that one. What's going on? Well, they said, we prayed for healings and, and people got healed and we, we, people gave their lives to Jesus and it was awesome. And I said that, and you know, we celebrated together and I said, tell me about the bull guy. You know, what was the deal with the guy on the bull? You know, and they said, oh, that was a really interesting one. They said that was the village witch doctor and he, brought his bull into the meeting so he could create a commotion and kind of distract and everything else. And he said his bull turned on him and chased him out of the meeting. <laughs> well, we drove back to the place we were staying over the bumpy road, you know, and I went to bed that night and, and I laid in my bed and I started praying and I said, Lord, I am so sacrificial. Look at me, Lord. I... I flew 24 hours all the way to India and I'm sleeping in this hard bed and I don't like the food and I, it was a rough ride. Aren't I amazing, God? Now, do you think that's what was going through my head at that time? Of course not. I was thinking, God, why me? Why of the 7 billion people on the earth do you let me get to be a part of what you're doing? We feel that way. Because we're made for that. You know, it's it's the feeling some of you had. Did any of you get to go to Houston to clean up after Harvey? Anybody in this group? Okay, pretty good smattering of people. You know, you think about what you did, okay? You took, uh, you took a weekend of your already busy life. You drove to Houston, Texas with some people you didn't know very well. You wore a mask in 100 degree heat and humidity and cleaned out somebody's nasty house, right? Where the carpet was soaked and the walls were messed up, and you felt good at the end of it. Why is that? It's because we're made for this. You know, we're made for, a psychologist would say, we're made for significance. I say it this way, we're made for mission. I mean, we find our significance in doing something in mission. We're made for this. Now, the problem is, this is true of all human beings, saved and unsaved, right? Right? We're made to accomplish things. We're made to take the next mountain or to run over that hill or do whatever it is. And unfortunately, as we watch the newscast today, we realize a lot of people are trying to do that in the wrong places. They're trying to find their significance in ways that will never satisfy them. The book of Proverbs says this. He says, as, as death and destruction are never satisfied, neither are the eyes of man. That's why the really rich people that try to cheat the system to get really richer, that's why they do that kind of stuff. That's why the people that have everything at their disposal try to take advantage of other people. It's because you'll never be satisfied. But God created that need for significance in us. So it's we have to find a mission, but it's not just the mission of what do I want to do? What do I get my degree in and then go do? It's not just the mission of what is the American dream that we do? What does America tell us that we're supposed to do? Or it's not even the mission of what does the church want to do? It's really what is the mission that God's up to? And we got to get ourselves plugged into his mission if we really ever want to find that significance that's going to fulfill us. Amen. All right, you with me? So let's do this. Let's take a glance through Scripture to try to understand what is the mission that God has. And we're going to start in the book of Genesis. 
we're actually going to go through Revelation and you will get out on time by the grace of God. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. We'll have the verses on the screen here. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created this man named Adam and he immediately gave him a mission. He created him in his image and he said, now take my image and go fill the earth with the image of God. That's the mission that he's, he was put on. And then we read in Revelation chapter 7, which James read earlier this morning, this is what it looks like when the mission is fulfilled. He said, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. When the mission is fulfilled, this is what it looks like. People from every nation, tribe, people, and language before the throne worshiping Him. And that's going to be an awesome worship service, isn't it? Now, I have this belief. I mean, maybe it's just a dream in my heart. When we stand before there, that everybody's going to be singing in their own languages, maybe even playing their own brand of music, and we're, it's all going to flow together perfectly, and we're going to understand it. That will be cool. And maybe it's just because I've spent so many times in worship meetings uh, around the world where I have no clue what they're singing, and uh, and I just have that desire. I wish I knew what they were singing, you know. But it's going to be this great group, multitude, representing every tribe and uh, people group and, and language on the earth. Now, when we read this, oftentimes we think, oh, that will be every nation of the earth. And, you know, right now, then, on, if you go to Google, it'll tell you there's 195 geographic nations on the earth. All of them have Christians in them. All of them today would be represented before the throne. But that's not what this word is here. The word in the Greek is this word ethne. And ethne, when you think about it, is the root of ethnicity or ethnic groups. It's the people with their own language and their own culture, with their unique way of doing life together. And if you want to get a picture of this, just think of the Metroplex here. I mean, if you go uh, to the airport, which I do often here at DFW, uh, you may be waited on with somebody that's wearing a headdress with dark skin. And you may go down the corner and hear somebody else speaking in another language. And then you may see a few people like you. I mean, there are hundreds of different people groups represented in this area. So when this, the scripture says nations, it's not talking about the nation of America. It's talking about all those people groups having a chance to hear the gospel and respond to it. And across the earth today, we know there's about 17,000 different people groups. That's a lot, right? Of those 17,000, about 7,000 or maybe 7,500 of them would be considered unreached people groups. What that means is they don't, it doesn't mean there's not a single Christian among them, but it means they don't have a church strong enough in their own culture to reach the rest of their people group. 
But Jesus said, before at the end of time, they're all going to be represented before my throne. It's going to happen. So how is this going to happen? How do we get from where we are today to where all 7,500 of the unreached people groups have a chance to worship before the throne of God? Well, let's go back in Scripture now to Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. And this is a story about a man named Abram. Abram is an idol worshiper. He is not a Christian. He's not even a Jew yet. He's just a good old sun and moon idol worshiper. And God comes to him and gives us this incredible promise. He says, the Lord says to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed before you. We call this top line and bottom line blessing. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You know, God wants to bless you. You're sitting here today. That is God's intention is for you to be blessed. Isn't that good news? Amen. Uh, yeah, I like that one too. And we really like that one. But he says, I'm going to bless you so that you can take that blessing that comes through you and give it out to others. I'm, you are blessed to be a blessing. That was the call of God on Abram's life there in Genesis 12. So Abraham took a big risk and he went. And we read about this in uh, Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, by faith Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. And he went without knowing where he was going. That last line gets me every time, right? <laughs> he went without knowing where he was going, but he obeyed God because the promise had come. You're going to be a blessing, and then you're going to give that blessing away to others. Well, Israel had a little bit of a problem with this, figuring out this. They liked the God bless us part of it, but it got a little more tricky when it was, and so that every family on the earth will be blessed, right? And we can be really critical of them until we look at our own lives. We like the blessing part, but it's a little bit harder to take that and say, okay, you're blessing me so that I can give it away. That was my intention. And we read through the Old Testament and we look at Israel's history and we think they never quite got this one right. And so God did this crazy thing. He sent his only son to the earth to put this thing back on track because that mission of God, you know, it is going to get fulfilled. And so Jesus came, and by the way he lived, and by the way he taught, he showed us what it means to live on God's mission. And then after dying on the cross and raising from the dead, and right before he sends into heaven, he gathers this group of his disciples, mostly uneducated, untrained teenagers, honestly, and says, I'm giving the whole mission to you right now. Hmm? Many of us might have said, God, what were you thinking when you came up with this idea, right? But he said, now it's your mission. You're going to receive power, he tells us in Acts chapter 1. And when my spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to get this mission accomplished in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. You see, this is the way it happens for God's mission to get accomplished. It happens by weak, broken people like you and me, who are willing to go and tell others. We read about this in Romans chapter 10, where he says this, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you see how it is? God's got this mission, and he says, you and I play a role in it. We have a part to play. This is how it gets accomplished. Now, sometimes I wonder, God, I mean, that one of the things that's been happening, in fact, I'll tell you a story from when we did engage the crisis a few years ago in Europe. Uh, one of our couples was trying to minister to the Syrian refugee family. They were getting nowhere. It just wasn't communicating. They were in trouble with the language anyway. And finally, they said, have either of you ever had a dream about a man in white? And the woman, this young Syrian uh, woman, 24 years old, said, yes, since I was 13 years old, I've had this recurring dream of a man in white. And they said, who do you think that is? And they said, we don't know, but we figured it must be Mohammed. And they said, well, can we show you something from our holy book, the Bible? And they opened it to Revelation chapter 1, and they read the story where John sees Jesus in all of his glory, you know, with his, his face uh, shining and his hair like wool and his eyes like fire. And she said, that's it. That's what I saw in my dream. And they said, that's Jesus. And that they led that couple to the Lord. Now, for 11 years, that woman had that dream. And, and I'm kind of like, God, you gave her the dream. Couldn't you just tell her how to do the rest of the thing? I mean, couldn't you just say, well, here's how you pray the prayer. And here's... But no, it took human beings to get out of their comfort zone and go to Europe and share with them before they got the fulfillment of that. This is the way that God has chosen to fulfill his mission. Now, why is that? Well, I think it has to do with the second basic need all humans have, and that is this. We're made, first of all, for significance. And secondly, we're made for love, right? So when we go back to the story of Adam, and we look back in the very beginning of the Bible, you know, God creates Adam and he gives him a mission, and Adam exists in this perfect, sinless world. And still in chapter 2 of Genesis, God comes to him and says, or God says, it's not good for him to be alone. And he creates the woman alongside of him. He had everything. He had sinless perfection. And yet it was not good for him to be alone. Because, see, there's a basic need in us for love, a basic need in us for relationship and for community. And God put that in us. It's the way of the Lord. So we look through history and we see you know, in, in, uh, through the book of Genesis, and we see in Israel, they, ha they have these 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. And as Israel's moving into conquest uh, to the promised land, as they're on their mission together, they divide them up by tribe and by clan, and they each play a role in seeing the mission accomplished. Or you look later in the book of Nehemiah when they're rebuilding the wall, and it tells us in chapter 3 where Everybody worked on the wall, and it says they worked by families. They worked by little groups of uh, maybe the same kind of occupation. They came together in community to see this mission accomplished. And I think, why is it that way? And I, I, maybe I can illustrate by a story. And that, that's this, that, um, well, a few years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago now, one of my sons was away at college, 
and he was having a tough time. I know none of you college students have ever had a tough time like this, and he needed a little dad time. And so he said, uh, we arranged a time for me to drive. It's about four hours away on a night and to go have dinner with him just to talk and to kind of help him work through his challenging time. And so I thought, great, we arranged the day. I had the whole day free. So in the morning, I thought, I'll do two things I really like to do. I will exercise and spend, it's hard to believe looking at me, but I really do like to exercise. And I will spend time with Jesus, right? Good idea. So I rode my bike, put my backpack on, my Bible in there, and I went to Starbucks and uh, spent time, had great time with Jesus, such good time with Jesus that I drank about three of the venti bold roast coffee, okay? Now, you know the story isn't going to go very well, but anyway, from that point. So about three of those things, got on my bike and started riding home, hit a hill and thought, I am really out of shape. I don't think I can get up this hill. And pretty soon it was like, I'm going to pass out. So I put my bike down and went and laid in somebody's front yard for a while with my heart just racing, racing, about 160 beats a minute, you know. And finally got myself together enough to get home and took a shower with my heart still going about 160 beats a minute. And, and then what did I do? I got in my car and drove four hours to have dinner with my son with my heart racing at 160 beats a minute through the dinner, all the way home, till I drove to my best friend's house, who happens to be my doctor as well. He took me to the emergency room, and I spent the next two days in the hospital as they got my heart back into rhythm. Okay, don't ever do that, by the way. <laughs> really bad idea. But why did I do that? Because my son needed me. And I'll do anything for family. We'll go anywhere on the earth for our sons and daughters. We'll sacrifice anything for our community, right? And this is how God created us. He put that in us as a family that, that we would come together and have unity and community to accomplish his mission together. Now, I know when I use the word family, for a lot of people, that brings up not good memories, but painful things. And I understand this. And we understand that today there's an attack of the enemy on the family like never before. And his strategy is, is called divide and conquer, right? And regardless of our situation, though, but God has caused us. I mean, he's made us to be loved, and he's made us to be significant. He's made us to be in community to accomplish his mission together. So this is what led me to Antioch. I was actually 42 years old when I went on my first mission trip. That's old. I mean, for you guys over here, that's old. You guys over here, right? 42 years old when I went to my... Think how far ahead of you, me, you guys are already. Many of you have already been to places around the world. And the reason I didn't go till I was 42 was not because I didn't love God. I was actually on the staff of a church and had been in ministry for a number of years. It wasn't... It was mostly because I had six kids, so it was really hard to figure out how to do it and, and how to get the money to do it. And I was really busy with my church job, and I gave to missions, and I prayed for missions. But in missions, I knew it was a good thing. It just wasn't my thing, right? It was the missions, those missions people in the church. And that's what we typically do with most churches. There's the normal church, and there's always those missions people over there. 
those few isolated, often a little bit weird people, except for the Penningtons who are here, not at all weird that way, but those few isolated, weird people that are, are willing to do something kind of radical and go. But I went when I was 42 years old because I became convinced that I was missing out on something of God. And I wanted to see it. I went on a short-term mission trip. I never in my life thought about being a missionary, ever. I never thought about the nation of India, ever. I mean, maybe read a National Geographic, but I, I never, anything like that. But I went because I felt like I was convinced that God was on a mission and I was missing out. And I wanted to be a part of it. So I went. And it changed my life. It was a nine-day mission trip. Worst planned mission trip in the history of mission trips. You couldn't do one better. If you ever did this, we would kick you out of Antioch. But God showed up. And we had a divine appointment. And I fell in love with a people that I never thought about in my life. And it changed everything. And as it changed everything, and I began to understand, oh, God is on a mission and he's invited me in, I said, I've got to find a family that has this as their vision as well. And not long after that, I met this guy named Jimmy Cyber. And we started getting to know each other a little bit. And then my son, Drew, Jamie referred to, went to Baylor and got to be part of this church called Antioch. And he left as a good kid, and he came back at the end of his freshman year as a man of God that was convicting to have live in my own house. And I thought, what have you done to my son, you know? But he got involved in discipleship, and I watched his life change, and he went on mission trips. And, and so it got, you know, you, do, you want to get parents' attention. You do something good for the kids, right? So it got my attention. So we started going to World Mandate, and then we started interfacing with Antioch people and places like Wheaton, Illinois, or maybe overseas in India. And pretty soon, not pretty soon, but after a number of years, I said to Jimmy, Jimmy, every time I leave Antioch people, I feel like I'm leaving my family. So why don't we just join the family? And he said, we want you. And he, he said, why don't you figure out a time when you can come and go through our discipleship school, and then we'll see what happens from then. Well, it took us three years more to do that. But then we did. We, we went to Waco, and we did it not to, for a job. I didn't have a job offer. We went because we resonated with this people and with this vision that Antioch's all about. So when we join a family, we take on their identity. And I had to have, find a family that had the same heart as mine, and that's why I'm at Antioch. Now, as I say that, no heavies here, right? I mean, on this deal, if God calls you here, great. If he calls you somewhere else, the kingdom of God is big. We're not the only tribe in the kingdom. But I found out this was my tribe. And part of that was because this whole idea that God's on a mission and we get to be part of it. I was at a, a meeting with Jimmy a few years ago, a conference, and it was being run by the head of the Jesus film, a guy named Paul Eshelman. And Paul said, Paul introduced Jimmy to pray over a meal or something like that. And he said, I remember the first time I met Jimmy Seibert. He came up to me and he said, Paul, where on the earth is it that no one else wants to go? He said, that's where Antioch wants to go. And I thought, oh, I like this guy. You know, I resonated with the vision. Now, today, this vision has been in place now for about 20 years. The church in Waco has been established and then through it, other churches planted and some great churches like this one that have joined into the family. And we've had this vision 
of we're going to be part of, not the only piece, please don't ever think that, we're going to be part of seeing this mission fulfilled till where every tongue and tribe and language is represented before the throne. And let me show you what God's done in about the last 20 years. This looks like one of these bad airline maps in the back of your deal. But every one of these orange dots represents a place where we have long-term t- people working on the, in the world today. And if you, on, in the U.S. side now, there's about 30 church plants over here, all of those. And then everywhere there's an orange dot overseas is where we have not a person, but a team of people, including some stuff there in, in Thailand. But you'll notice, uh, if you could see it, and your eyes aren't good enough, I don't think, uh, where there's those bigger orange dots, there's bigger numbers in there. There's fives and sevens because we have teams and places uh, that, you know, they're a little more of a security risk, so we don't put exactly where they are. God has done an amazing thing. This is what is going on with this family that I get to be a part of. And my heart resonates with it because I believe this is what God's all about. And I want to be on His mission. So, you know, kind of whether you like it or not, if you're in this family, you got to be about the family business, right? It's what we do. And we got to figure out what does that mean for your own life? And none of us can determine what that means for your life. You know, my wife and I, when we got married <clears throat> 30, almost 39 years ago, um, I mean, we got married because I fell in love with her, you know, and hope, and she fell in love with me too. But I mean, <laughs> really fell in love with her. And uh, I'm still really in love with her today. But there's a lot of things that have changed in our lives in that. But part of the reason that our love is so strong today is not just because we're attracted to each other and we enjoy each other. It's because from the very first of our marriage, we committed ourselves to whatever would bring God the most glory. This is just our prayer. God, what will bring you the most glory from our lives? That's what we'll do. And I got to tell you, over the last almost 40 years, that has led us into business for 10 years. It's led us on to church staffs. It's led us overseas. It's led us to the inner city. It's led us to Waco, Texas. It's led us in all sorts of places. But every time it's been because our heart has been, Jesus, we want to bring you the most glory. And I've realized it's not so much about your occupation or even your location. It's about what you're preoccupied with. It's about your preoccupation. You see, if we're preoccupied with Jesus, and if we're preoccupied with his mission and what he's doing on the earth, then it doesn't matter if you're in the business world. Or it doesn't matter if you're a school teacher. It doesn't matter if you're a missionary. Not one of them is more holy than the other. It's just about doing what God's called you to do. The problem is that when we close the door and says, I will, I will never do that. That's when we get in a problem. Those are the missions people, not me. You know, I'll never be that. Who knows what God wants to do? So what do we do? Let's get practical here. A a great man of God, John Wimber, said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And he said, God is calling us to take steps of risk, (laughs) right? Steps of faith. I was sharing the story of all the steps of R-I-S-K I've taken in my life uh, with a men's group a number of years ago. And afterwards, this old man came up to me and he he had this really sad look in his face. And I said, what's going on? He said, all of my life I've played it safe. 
I've never taken a risk. I've always been in that little self-protection bubble. And I could see in his face such regret. It's like I've really missed out on something. And you know what? He really has missed out on something. Because God has more for him. This desire to take these steps of faith led Julie and I five years ago to leave our home town where we'd been for 50 years, to move out of the house we'd lived in for 29 years, to pack everything up, leave family, lifelong friends, and extended family, and move to Waco, Texas. Again, not for a job. I didn't have this job. But to be part of a mission and part of a family. And I've never regretted that. So the thing that I'm hoping this morning is that you'll open your heart up and say, God, what is that next step I need to take? It may, it may be this offering that we're taking in a few minutes. It may be signing up for one of the short-term teams that are, are going this summer. It may be some of you saying, I'm going to put my summer plans on hold and I'm going to be an intern with Engage the Islands or Engage the Nations. I can't answer that for you. The question is, are you willing to open it up and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want to do? God's calling you to take a step of risk or faith as part of this family. And I believe in this room today are some of you are called to go long-term as missionaries that you may never have been on a mission trip yet. I mean, that's who we are as a people. And just, just out of the law of averages in this room, there are some of you that have this calling on your life. And you know what? If we quit fighting it, and quit resisting and say, God, I'm going to be about what will bring you the most glory, and I'm going to be about your mission, then he's faithful to get you there. He's faithful to take care of you. He's faithful to answer those questions. What about my kids? What about my finances? What about my future? What about my parents so mad they just paid a billion dollars for my college education? All those things. And I'm saying work through those processes. Don't just, but, but God can take care of that. You know, in the end, church isn't for us. We're for the church, right? Church isn't about meeting my needs. It's about how do we fulfill what Jesus has called us to. And we got to no longer make it someone else's responsibility or let someone else do it or turn it all over to those missions people in the church. I'm going to end with this verse. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. Amen. I, that is my life right there. We're not accountable for them. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. It's not an accountability out of fear or duty or obligation. I'm telling you, it's an accountability out of God. I want to be part of what you're doing. And God's saying in the process of that, I will meet those two biggest needs in your life for love and significance. That's what he has for you. Let me pray. Jamie can come up and close us out here. Lord, we thank you that you are so incredibly faithful. And God, we love being uh, on an adventure with you. Thank you that you wrote us into your story. We can't figure that one out, Lord, but we're so grateful. Lord, thank you for being a great leader and being a great father. And thank you, Lord, that you didn't call us just to do it all alone, but you gave us friends and community and family to be part of this great journey. God, we're honored. And Lord, we just open our hearts up, and I pray today that we can open our hearts up for whatever you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.